the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Aubrey, this is a time where it can be really easy to get uh, self-centered, which seems odd. That seems backwards at Christmas time. So true. Uh, But it's what am I going to get or what am I going to buy my kids? What are we doing? What are the fun activities we're going to do? Right. Uh, When in reality, uh, kind of the spirit of Christmas, if you will, uh, is to be selfless, to give, to think of others. And I was just uh, perusing foxnews.com, and this headline caught my eye. I wonder what you think about this. It says, volunteering during holidays can change a life, maybe yours. What does it mean to feel wealthy, and how can we achieve it? So basically, the question is, does volunteering, let's take this beyond Christmas. Let's take this. They're talking about Christmas, kind of the spirit of the season. But I believe this is something we would probably say in a sermon, right, Uh, at any point in the year. Does serving others, that's what volunteering is, does serving others uh, make our lives better? And is that a good, compelling reason to Mm. therefore serve other people? Mm, I like that question. because You know what it reminds me of? Can I, I'm going to say the negative thing about it and the positive thing about it. I'm ready. The negative part about it reminds me of like when you go on a short-term missions trip and everyone mm. comes back and says something like, they helped me more than I helped them. Or, yes, you know, yes. there's some kind of... And that is sort of not okay. Like we've all sort of learned in time, like, oh, maybe that's not a good idea. If we're going there to help ourselves, that's probably probably not great. I think the point of this article and the point, the beauty of services, when you are serving and helping other people, you feel blessed. Yes. And so it's not necessarily about like feeling getting for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like changing your own life. You really do want to try to change other people's lives through good partnership and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. whoever you're serving. But the fact is there is a blessing because you do, like you're saying, Brian, you step out of your own selfishness. You um, see the world around you with a new perspective. And then I think um, realizing even in serving that you're not the one who saves. God does. And we just get to partner with God. Right. Right. Zig Ziglar, which is the uh, famous author, speaker. Just love that his name is Zig Ziglar. Z-I-G. That is the coolest Z-I-G-L-A-R. I feel like if I really want to make it as an author, I got to change my name to like Obson. But you could, you guys could have done this so easily. You could have gone with Sam Sampson. Ah oh, man, like that was sitting right there for you. Wow, we we really missed a whole, <laughs> we missed a whole thing. He said this: "You can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want." Wow, you can have everything in life that you want if you just help other people get what they want. I'm like you, Aubrey. I think there's two ways to look at this. One is you want to be very careful about what it is you're getting, because. Uh, how many preachers have we heard get up and say, hey, if you give uh, $5 in the offering, God's promises to give you back 10. Yeah. It becomes an investment strategy. Yeah. We often call that the prosperity gospel. You know, We want to say that's not true. That's right. not how it works. And then also, Aubrey, a second thing is Jesus served people, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't 
end well for him, wow. humanly speaking, yeah. right? So there is something, I, I guess my point is not everybody you serve is going to you know, throw you bouquets of flowers <laughs> and thank you. Yes. Yet at the same time, we do know it is biblical that, that as we serve other people, as we give, as we kind of model the life of Christ in the life of other people, I do. I don't think it's wrong for us to say that 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 kind of fulfills something—a longing in us to make mm. a difference, a longing in us to be part of a solution to yeah. other people's problems. And I don't think there's anything wrong. That might not be the greatest primary motivator. You'd like to think we'd be motivated by altruism, like if you're in need, right. I want to help you. Right. But the, I don't think it's wrong in any way to say, you know what, my life is going to be better off. Yeah. There's going to be some deeper meaning. Let's yeah. put it that way. There's going to be some sort of deeper meaning if I am uh, loving and caring for other people. I think that's fine to live that way, right? Well, I, you know, I feel like it's the jaded person, and I include myself in this, who is like, oh, you shouldn't serve because then you just have a hero complex. Yep. Well, okay, you're right. Like, not all of us have altruistic motives. And so perhaps you should just serve and then see if the motives change, because mm. sometimes I think that the service itself brings about a new, healthier perspective. And we've said before on this show, if you're dealing with pain this holiday season, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling um, depressed or low or downtrodden or what have you, sometimes that act of just I'm going to go serve somebody else. Maybe you're feeling sick. Maybe you're feeling sorry for yourself for whatever reason. Serving somebody else does, in fact, get you out of your own circumstance in your own head. And so I think let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. right? Like it is okay if serving blesses you, yeah. if you're blessing other people. And but like Brian said, that can't be the total goal. Like ultimately, you want to be there for that person. You want to know that service does require sacrifice. And if we're honoring Jesus, you're right. I mean, the end of service with death was death on a cross. Right. So at some point, it does involve humbling yourself, whether or not you get recognition, whether or not anyone's grateful, humbling yourself enough to serve because you have been served by God. The beauty of the gospel and the beauty of just God's goodness is that there is a shift that happens when yep. you serve, volunteer, give of yourself, etc., so that you do experience joy. And so I think let's not be afraid of that. Let's be okay like with the fact that joy may come through serving, and that's a good thing. We can praise God for that. And it's a backwards thing. The guy who's writing this article is not a pastor. And yeah. He's a wealth manager. He's telling people how to get wealthy, and he's saying true wealth is is this. It's in serving other uh, people that that's kind of where we find true uh, purpose and wealth in our lives. I know I said this to our church the other day. Uh, I feel like there's been a shift even coming out of COVID in our church over the last couple of months as we've gotten back to serving the community and doing some things. Because during COVID, we all had to be so right, insulated. Right. And so, and and I don't think we're made to be really kind of mm. only self-focused and only whether it be yeah. churches or individuals. And so I think, uh, let's end this way. Someone out there right now, listen, Aubrey, they're like, I've never served another person yeah. in my life. What's what's step one? How do you even start down this path? Yeah, I mean, I think you can think small, right? This is what we like to say on this show is think about what you have in front of you right now. So are you someone who likes to make cookies? Make cookies for a neighbor. Are you someone who likes to mow lawns when the weather's better? Mow lawns for a neighbor. Uh, if you're not part of a local church, I promise you, your local church has some volunteer uh, positions for you. Start uh, going to a local church and mm-hmm. ask how you can serve. If you're part of a local church and you're not serving, ask your pastor how you can serve. I promise you they need you this Christmas for their Christmas yes. service. I promise you they need you in the children's ministry <laughs> at every church in Chicago. So there, And then, of course, there's 
homeless shelters. Yeah. There's yeah. um there's organizations that you can give to. You can even serve from your own home. Um, all kinds of ways that you can give of yourself, big ways, small ways, this holiday season. That's excellent. That's uh kind of the the mood of the season, right? It's the attitude of Christmas, and uh, we would love for you to go out there and look for ways to model Jesus' service uh, the way you've been served by serving other people. Well, coming up next, Dr. Felicia Wu Song. She wrote a fascinating new book called Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the dead, in the Digital Age. Easy for me to say. Felicia is going to join us next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, we joke often, you and I both have uh, teens and we preteens do. in the house. Uh, and and something you know at that age, phones, devices, uh, in our own lives, you and yes. I have talked about kind of the tyranny that that brings in our lives. Totally. And so we, that is always a great topic to discuss. And with that in mind, we're excited to talk to the author of a new book called Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. That author is Dr. Felicia Wu Song. Felicia, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, before we jump into this timely and fascinating book, uh, would you just introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, sure. So I am a professor. I teach at Westmont College, which is a small Christian liberal arts school in Santa Barbara, California. Mm-hmm. And I'm a part of the sociology department. Mm-hmm. And been out here for about nine years, and I too have two kids in the teenage oh, realm. Oh, nice! Um, so I'm in the trenches with you guys. <laughs> well, congratulations on the new book. It looks amazing. It's called "Restless Devices: Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age." It seems like such a perfect book for right now. I-, I would just love to hear, Felicia, what led you to even write this book. Yeah, well, you know, I've been interested in the social and cultural effects of digital technologies and media for a long time. Um, But the book really came out of having a lot of uh, wonderful occasions to actually just talk to people about um, technology and hear their questions. I've had chances um, to talk to churches and pastors and students and and it's always at the end of the talk during the Q&A and even after the Q&A that people come up and share their stories and their burdens. And, mm. and time after time, whether it was parents or young people, I just heard the same thing, you know, the same question of like, wow, we are overwhelmed, um, we're tired, um, but, and we don't, we feel stuck. We don't know what to do. Um, and so a lot of the book kind of came out of those conversations, just thinking, um, you know, I think sociology has some tools that can help us think about this uh, well, and that even um, those of us who are of the Christian faith, mm-hmm. that there, there are resources there in our heritage, in our theology, and I just wanted to mine those. Mm, that's awesome. That's such an important topic. Uh, Felicia, let's go this route. There are probably people out there going, I don't know, phones and devices, they feel neutral to me. They, they're not hurting me or mm-hmm. helping me. Uh, help people understand why these devices are having a deep impact on us. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I am interested in um, persuading the reader on in the book is is exactly what you're saying uh, against this notion that technologies are just neutral or that they're just tools that we can just pick up and put down. Um, and it, it surely is an incredible tool um, that has a, a lot of wonderful benefits. Um, but one of the things that I think happens to us that we don't realize is um, particularly with our contemporary digital devices, it's just the way that it starts to shape our preoccupations. It mm. shapes what we have in our mind. It shapes um, what how how we interact in our spaces. I'm just thinking like when I'm standing at the checkout line in the supermarket, yeah. it shapes what I what I feel like doing at mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. um, and it often even shapes how I choose to interact or not interact with the people around me. Yeah. Um, and so I think in deep ways, um, I, I, our digital environment and the pull of our devices actually has led us to kind of a form of consciousness where we're not often where we are, where our bodies physically are, yes. like our minds, our preoccupied, you know, our preoccupations. We're sitting in meetings, we're having meals, we're maybe even talking to someone, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking about the post we just put up yes. on social media. I wonder if anyone <laughs> responded. Mm -hmm. We're thinking so about that email box that is full of emails that still need to be responded to. We're thinking about the text that's buzzing on our wrist or on our in our pockets, right? And so it, it's in part about distraction, which I think is, is a common way that we talk about the effects of our technology. But I would argue it's deeper than distraction. It's actually kind of, um, a form of consciousness now mm. um, that, that a part of our spirit is just dedicated mm. to that space of what's going on online and that um, the, 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 or the cost of that or the loss of that um, is um, um, often an impoverishing of our interactions with what's actually physically around us mm. and even with ourselves. That to me a is a lack of presence with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. is so fascinating. I feel like you're you're I mean, you're just exactly right. Because I feel like I mean, this isn't this isn't you interviewing me, but I do feel like I that's what I lose is I'm like, wait, I'm not present right now. I don't even feel my legs on the chair that <laughs> yeah, I'm in right now because I'm so can you unpack that a little bit more? Like how does this actually impact our personhood and our ability to be present? Yeah, well, you know, I think some of it is the sheer, um, the noise of it all. Um, some of it is just that there is so much content for us to consume that is very stimulating, right? I mean, these, um, part of what makes our devices not neutral these days is that they are products of incredible amounts of research and design that companies have dedicated themselves to building. It's not just the devices, but it's also the platforms, the Instagram, the Twitter, right? There's, there are companies that are dedicated to building persuasive spaces that want to keep our attention. Mm. Um, and so, and there's, you know, neurological um, research, there's psychological research that's all been invested 
in creating really incredibly brilliant platforms yeah. um, to hold us there. And so I think part of it is that our, our attention is distracted. It is, uh, it finds what's online more stimulating. Um, but there is also this sense, I think, in which um, because our um, relationships with each other are so bound up now, both online and in our kind of embodied um, lives, that it's all kind of jumbled together now. Like pre-mobile devices, right, um, we could kind of compartmentalize, you know, like when I'm at home, I'm with the family. Right. When I'm at work, yeah. I'm with work, right? And there were obviously some blurring of the boundaries here and there. But now it's all kind of swirling together um, constantly, 24-7. And we haven't really, um, in in many ways, the institutions, the organization of our social lives haven't quite caught up with this technological reality yet. And so everything is just jumbled up together. We don't have forms of etiquette or boundaries set. Um, And so... Um, for those of us that are trying to be a good parent, a good friend, a good daughter, a good son, a good employee, a good pastor, right? We're, we're trying to do all of that at once. Um, and um, the the desire for productivity, the desire for um, wanting to maintain those relationships um, start to outstrip our capacities um, so that when we're sitting in a meeting or when we're sitting taking care of our kids, um, or talking to them, there's these other voices um, calling us, literally and metaphorically. There you go. Um, so real. There are yes. There you yeah. go. The mm-hmm. book is called Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. Uh, the author is Dr. Felicia Wu Song. And Felicia's going to stay with us. Aubrey and I are both pastors. And so, you know, we're raising teenagers. We're also uh, trying to navigate with devices in our own lives. But also we've got churches and, and people uh, immersed in all of this. Could you help us from your research and your opinion? Uh, what is the result on our in our spiritual lives? What's the result in our relationships with God as we live distracted and always connected, say, through our phones or social media? Yeah. Well, I think on a most fundamental level, we need to start realizing that the degree to which we are using our digital devices and engaged in routines that many of us don't even think about anymore, they're just kind of compulsive or automatic, all of it is actually teaching us a story, Mm -hmm. right? It's training us up in a particular story that the digital environment um, tells us about what the good life is. And that good life, according to the digital world, is one in which um, we're able to get other people, we're, we're competing against each other, for attention. Um, there's a scarcity of time that we're always trying to um, spend as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. We need to be productive all the time, constantly, mm-hmm. um, to live a good life. And, and that story is actually, when you, when you kind of put it all together and you set it against the Christian story, it's really different, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Christian story is one that, that invites us to be wholly who we are, not just who Instagram or Twitter will reward. Right, right. right. Um, it, 
uh, we're invited to actually bring our full selves, our weaknesses, our flaws um, to the Lord, to each other, and to find ourselves still loved and welcomed. Mm-hmm. To a table of feasting and abundance mm. rather than a life of scarcity. And so I think for the person of faith, um, there's actually a deep challenge of discipleship, right? Mm. That, that yeah. our, our digital practices are training us, they're discipling us towards a story that is not the Christian story, mm. right? And many of us want to believe that um, we can be holy who we are and accepted and loved, but that's really hard when um, we're being trained up daily in these other sorts of dynamics and practices. Mm. Um, And so I think one of the things that um, we're actually missing out on when we are so deeply trained by our digital practices is just being present to God, actually, Mm. Um, and being present to um, the ways that God is um, often hidden um, in unexpected places and in unexpected people. Um, I write about how the hiddenness or, or the hiddenness of God or even the interrupting God, you know, the God that shows up when you don't really want him to show up at that time because <laughs> <laughs> you have that deadline you want to meet or you have to get that one email done, right. right, that often we are so focused on our screens and the task at hand that we might actually miss out. Mm-hmm. We miss out on a gift, a nudge from the Holy Spirit um, that that can pull us out of ourselves and remind us of who we really are. Oh, oh it's so good. Felicia, um, you know, with that in mind, obviously we're in 2021, almost 2022. I, I'm guessing the answer is not a total rejection of devices or technology, even though mm-hmm. that sounds really nice. I don't know how practical that is. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. have... Um, tips, suggestions, um, mm-hmm. changes, things that we can begin to do to put devices, social media, technology, et cetera, back in its proper, or not back, but maybe in its proper place for the first mm. time? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things I like to think about, and I, I totally agree with you that we can't just throw it all out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not very practical um, for most of us, is, is to think about how we want to build our lives so that there are places or times that are just free of those dynamics. Um, I call them sacred times or sacred spaces or zones. Um, And so for some of us that might be kind of rethinking our morning routines or our evening routines before we go to bed or after we wake up, you know? So um, one thing I started trying to do was just, experimenting with what it would be like to wake up and spend the first 15 minutes um, without any screens. Mm. Um, And so that would mean not having the phone in the bedroom. Um, My family, actually, we all charge our phones on the opposite side of the house. Mm. Wow. Um, And that's a sign of not our strength, but our weakness (laughs) that we need to do that. It's like it's the farthest possible place um, when we are resting. We kind of charge it all over there. And then we try to say, okay, if I can just take 10 minutes that is um, shielded, really protected um, from all the demands and all the sorts of different um, voices that will come through all the different devices that we have. The morning is set for, 
you know, smelling the tea that I'm mm-hmm. actually making or seeing the sun if it's there in the morning um, or being with the person that's, that's also, you know, just waking up. Um, that sacred time can be really grounding um, before we turn on our phones. Um, and same thing at night. Um, that could be a, one way to start kind of just boxing out time. Um, the other thing that I like to suggest to folks um, that's sort of just um, uh, an experiment, again, is an experiment in monotasking. And what I mean by that is we're all familiar with multitasking, right? like yes. doing lots of things, right? Yes. Monotasking is just doing one thing. Wow. And, <laughs> it's like earth-shattering. Earth-shattering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like finding the thing that's like the weird, like the thing I like to do is actually driving. Mm. When I drive, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I just drive. Like not listening to a podcast, wow. not listening to radio. <laughs> I know, which is really yeah. I know it's antithetical with the <laughs> podcast. I know, it's, but um, but sometimes I do that. Um, and when I started doing it, it was really kind of terrifying because it's really quiet mm. in the car. Yeah. Um, but it's also really helpful to think about. Okay, um, you know, if it is terrifying, well, why am I terrified? You know, what's going on there? Um, one of my feet afraid to hear, um, whether that's in myself or from God. Um, but when I kept kind of leaning into it, um, it actually became a, a really nice space of quiet um, and reflection. Um, and also just realizing where I was driving, like yeah. just actually seeing the places again yeah. wow. um, has wow. just been a real gift. So those are just some practical things that slips can try. Those right? are really helpful. Mm-hmm. The- the the idea of monotasking, you're like, what? We don't do, we don't ever do that. <laughs> so, uh, it's a great thing to give a try in the new year here. Dr. Felicia Wu Song, uh, professor of sociology at Westmont College. I think the monotasking I would do if I was at Westmont was just staring at the ocean. That's yeah, what I would be doing. Yeah, or just being on the beach. <laughs> that would be you it. Do that all day. Uh, her new book is an important one. It's called Restless Devices Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place. In the digital age, you can learn more about Felicia and her books at FeliciaWooSong.com. That's FeliciaWooSong.com. Felicia, have yourself a great Christmas. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks so much. It's been great to be with you both. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And as Christmas starts to approach, Aubrey, there's uh, lots that we love about Christmas. Cookies? You love cookies? I Christmas love Christmas cookies? cookies. Is that a thing you guys do? Yeah, you it's, I mean, cookies? it's like it's gotten real bad this year. Okay. I shouldn't say that. That's a terrible thing to say. But what I mean is excessive. Yes. We are making cookies constantly. My son, my youngest son actually said, Mom, I wish we just had enough cookies in our house all the time so I always had cookies. That won't and work I was out like, well for him. Yeah, that's yeah. not probably not good for you, but I feel it. I understand I what you it. mean. Gingerbread houses? Uh, we did them earlier this year, and the boys thought it'd be funny to just make like disastrous houses, and so we kind of were over that. What that's about you guys? Did you do we, that? We did this year. We all did uh, gingerbread houses. Some of them ended up disastrous, not on purpose, but uh, okay. we've done cookies with 
the relatives, all this kind of stuff. Well, one of the things that we all know at Christmas time, though, is Christmas carols, Christmas songs. I love Christmas carols. uh, uh, I believe it's you and I both have Sirius XM radio in our cars. I believe it's channel 63. I believe it's a Christmas station right now. I don't know about that one. So my my, uh, 40s junction has become a holiday station. Okay, like 40s holiday. Yeah, well, yeah, they they do. They branch out every once in a while, but it's mostly 40s holiday. I really like it. So this, I think it's channel 63 is normally the message. It's normally a Christian station. Okay. And now it's like all, but it's just Christmas carols and it's like, oh. it might be traditional or it might be Michael Bublé. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it could be that. Ooh, so, I gotta try that one And out. I just love it. And so uh, Christmas carols got us thinking uh, this idea of this time of year. Joe Carter over at the Gospel Coalition. Joe's come on the show before. Nine things you should know about Christmas carols. This is just gonna be fun. Ooh, I love I'm, this. Okay. I'm gonna throw some of them at you. Okay. I just want you to respond like, oh, okay. I knew that or no, I yeah. didn't know that at all. Uh, Number one, carols weren't always spiritual, although they mostly are now. The word carol originated in AD 1300, uh, referring to a kind of dance in a ring, round dance accompanied by singers. It originally was used to refer to any festive song. So, Aubrey, Christmas carols did not begin Christian. So this is actually, I would say, just recently when we had on um, uh, Ace Collins, who talked about the history of Christmas songs. I don't know that I made a differentiation between Christmas carols as Christian and then Christmas songs as secular. So this whole concept of Christmas carols just being like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Silent Night, like the Jesus ones, I didn't know those were strictly carols. So this is... New for me, and I feel excited to learn this. All right. Number two, carolers caroling the caroled. Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what? A person who sings carols is a caroler. Okay. Singing carols is known as caroling. And having <laughs> sung a carol or having been sung to is to have been caroled or to have been caroled. <laughs> this makes me... Oh, to have caroled or have been caroled. To That's have caroled. Fun. To have caroled or to have been caroled? There that is go. the question. We only use that at Christmas. Number three, the first Christmas carol was taken from the Bible. What? The age of the apostles is believed to have ended around AD 98 with the death of John. The first Christmas carol is believed to have come about 30 years later when the Bishop of Rome ordained that in the holy night of the nativity of our Lord and Savior, all shall solemnly sing the angels' hymns. The lyrics are believed believed to have been taken from Luke chapter 2. So the first one. This is awesome. I love that information. All right. Number four. The, quote, father of the Christmas carol also invented the nativity scene. What? I think you're probably reading ahead, but did you know that Francis of Assisi was uh, considered the father of the Christmas carol? Assisi or Assisi? I don't know. Yeah. No, I did not know Francis of Assisi was the father of the Christmas carol. Or nor, the nativity scene. Nor did I know he invented the first nativity scene. It's believed he started the practice of singing hymns around such an outdoor nativity display, which is why he is sometimes referred to what? as the father of the Christmas carol. It's amazing when you have one person who's known for so many big things, right? Fine. I didn't. I know other things about him, but not that. Well no, done. Well done, Francis. I know his... Uh, his, I almost said his last name, but where he's from, right? <laughs> Number five, printed books of Christmas songs made caroling more popular. Well, that makes sense. Caroling became popular in Victorian England with the publication of music books dedicated to Christmas songs. Sure. Number six, house-to-house caroling originally included <gasps> a punch bowl of cider. I get so excited about wassailing because Explain of that it. song. Here they come, a wassailing among the leaves. So great. You go around caroling with a big bowl of wassail, wassail, however you say it, 
Apple cider. And I wish, we can't really in these COVID times, but I sure do wish we could bring this back. Wassail is a beverage made from hot mulled cider and spices. You are correct. I think the Samson should lead the way with that Maybe one. so. Number seven, the most recorded Christmas carol in the United States is Silent Night. Huh. In 2014, Time Magazine checked the records at the U.S. Copyright Office, which offers digitized registrations going back to 1978, and collected data on every Christmas album recorded since that time. Silent Night was the most popular carol with 733 copyrighted recordings since 1978. The second most popular, with only half of that, Joy to the World. Ah, fascinating. Okay. Number eight. We got two more. On the original Christmas night, we don't know. If the herald angel sang, but we do know how all the Welkin rings. I have no idea what he's saying, nope. so I'm going to read this yes, to you. Yes, please. Charles Wesley, the prolific hymn writer and brother of Methodism's founder, John Wesley, composed the text of the song that would become Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles's original words were, Hark how all the Welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings. Welkin is an archaic term for the heavens or sky. Look at that. When Wesley and George Whitfield edited a publication of hymns, Whitfield proposed the change to the line we know today, which Wesley accepted. Technically, Wesley's version was more biblically accurate since Luke chapter 2, verse 13 records the angels praising God and saying, and saying rather than singing. I'm going to start throwing Welkin into my vocabulary these days. That's a lot of words. Look at the Welkin out there. Isn't it beautiful? All right. And number nine, one of the best known Christmas carols was not a song. Pardon? When they hear the phrase Christmas carol, many people think first, not of holiday music, but of a short novel, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. What do you think of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? It is my husband's favorite story. What do you mean? I mean, he just loves Charles Dickens, and he loves A Christmas Carol. So we read it every year. Really? Yep. He's a big fan. Read from start to finish to the kids. We all sit around the fire with our wassail and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and our nativity scene from Assisi, and uh, that's what we do. Okay. I uh, also wanted to share this. Lifeway, uh, they did this just a month or two ago, top 15 Christmas songs for churches. Oh, right. okay. All let's right. hear them. Every year, new Christmas songs are written and performed by popular artists from nearly every music genre. But at a church worship gatherings, the classics still reign. Here are the most popular Christmas songs. Have you? Did you look at this list? No. Okay, I'm going to have you do some guessing. We're going to do this like Family Feud. Okay. The most popular Christmas songs downloaded or sold through a very specific site, LifeWayWorship.com. Okay, so these are worship the last songs. Year. But it could be any song, okay. but this is LifeWay Worship, so I would guess that they are going to be worship songs. You can guess. I will tell you where you guess. You got 15 here. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple guesses. Let's okay. see which ones you can get. Uh, oh, Holy Night. Oh, Holy Night comes in at number 14. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Um, oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. That's Oh, Come, Oh, Come, Emmanuel, correct? Nope. That- different song. Really? Yep. Oh, then no. It didn't come okay. on the list. Um, 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 Silent Night. Silent Night, uh, number six. Okay, uh, Joy to the World. Number one answer. Ah, okay. Joy and to the World. Hark the Herald Angel Sing. Is number three. Let's see if you can get... Uh, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That is number I, nine. I cheated a little bit because you said that. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm racking my brain for Christmas songs. Uh, God rest ye merry gentle... That wouldn't... We wouldn't be singing that at church. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't, tell me the rest. I don't know. Uh, number two, oh, come all ye faithful. 
Oh, I forgot about number that Number four, uh, the first Noel. Number five, Angels We Have Heard yes, on the High. Angels oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. All the way down to number 15. What child is this? Oh, that's a beautiful one. The one I never think of as a Christmas song, but it most definitely is. Number 12 on the list. Uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. We sang that on Sunday at church. Really, I love yes. that song. But I never really think of that as a you Christmas really, song. You don't really, but yeah. But it most definitely is. So on to have some fun with Christmas love carols. It. Hopefully... You are getting prepared for the Christmas holiday. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And Brian... It's the holidays. That's so I hear. The holidays bring lots of merry things like Christmas lights and Christmas gifts and Christmas movies and Christmas carols. They also potentially bring a lot of family drama. No. No, Believe no, it or no. not, not in your family because no. you have a perfect family, nor Thank in you. mine because I have a Hallmark movie family. <laughs> but the reality is a lot of us deal with family pain this time of year, and it can be very, very painful. Brian, you and I are pastors, mm-hmm. and I am sure that there are people who have come to you and asked for some counsel. How do I handle my families at the holidays? Or maybe it's not even the holidays, just in general. My family is dysfunctional. My family is toxic. How do I handle it? Do you have any advice that you go to or how do you kind of answer that question? Yeah, I would remind people that just because it's Christmas doesn't mean it's going to make everything better. Right. Mm. And so I'd be honest. Right. What are the boundaries that I need to set up for us to be together? Are there boundaries? I guess I'd start there. Because maybe you've set up boundaries for the entire year and you don't just blow them on Christmas because it's Christmas. It's going to go poorly. So what are the boundaries that I have set up that I need to stick to? Uh, Two, you know, Aubrey, if you've got a, um, you know, if if you and a family member always fight about X, Mm -hmm. could you maybe make an agreement over the Christmas holidays not to discuss X? Don't talk about X. For the sake of mom or for the sake of whoever. Like, can we be adults and have that conversation? I would say... If you're confident it's going to go poorly, maybe you don't get together on the holidays. You don't have to see all of your family members every year. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to say, you know what, until we get this worked out, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't want to be together. And so I get it. It's hard. Everybody wants to be together on the holidays. But if you can't come to some sort of agreement and now you got to tiptoe around person x you know and try to stay on the other side i'm just not sure that's worth it and so i would have a hard talk with someone and go maybe you shouldn't get together and you guys got to figure that out right and that can obviously be uncomfortable and that conversation is hard to have but i do think for the protection of your own soul sometimes that's the right move and perhaps that allows you to get together at the next holiday Mm -hmm. or a year Mm -hmm. later or what have you if this isn't the year you do have agency like you do have permission to say you know what this isn't the year and um, I think sometimes we forget that because some families put so much pressure, you know, but um, I also think about I, I heard a therapist once say this. Uh, someone had asked her about a, a dysfunctional family member, and she was kind of talking about how as Christians do we love people that are hard to love, especially when they're kind of terrible to us. And a, a metaphor that she gave was, OK, Let's say you and that family member, everybody's going to a baseball game. Mm -hmm. You can go to the baseball game with the family member 
You don't need to drive in the car with the family member to the yeah. baseball game. You don't need to offer them a ride. You don't need to sit next to them. And I've always, I don't know why that image has stuck with me, but I do think that's it. Whatever that uh, kind of plays out in your life, that image, can you quote unquote go to the baseball game, but not have to ride with them to the game? It's can good. you be at a family event and keep your distance? Yeah. Can you show up late and then leave early? Like, what are the boundaries you can put around? that family member or that family experience or what have you so that it feels safe for you, but you're still be- being with your family. Or like Brian said, maybe you're just not with them this year and you give yourself permission yeah. to do that. I heard somebody a couple years ago, a buddy of mine, he had some funny lines. Like he said, you know, my family can knows how to put fun and dysfunctional <laughs> and just kind of owning it. Good. I yeah. remember him saying to me once, he said, uh, my, he goes, <laughs> he goes, do you want to know what my favorite lights are at Christmas? I'm like, Oh, what? He goes, tail lights. <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing people pull away. Pretty good. It can be really stressful, Aubrey. Like yeah. it, Christmas can be any holiday, anytime, because you could go the other rest of the year and kind of avoid each other. I, I guess I just want to be really careful and tell people that, yeah, we all have these idyllic Hallmark movie kind of ideas in our mind that if I just if we just get in the same room at Christmas, Christmas holidays are right, going to make everything better. Right. And in fact, they make things worse. And yeah. so I think you have to have uh, you got to think it through like, OK, for the let's pretend that you and your uh, a sibling weren't getting along. Right. It was really tight. It was bad. Uh, do we bury the hatchet for the sake of mom right. so that we can all be together? And right. how are we going to do that? OK, that's a good yeah. solution. But you have to talk about it in advance mm-hmm. or. For the sake of everybody, do I see mom on this day and you see mom on that day? And we commit to still trying to work this out. But knowing that just because we say we're going to be nice to each other at Christmas doesn't mean that that's going to happen, right? Like there's still baggage there and boundaries. And so I would want people to be really honest with themselves. Mm. And, um, you know, if you can stay on separate sides of the room and still be enjoy your Christmas, okay. But, I mean – I. I don't know. Like, it's also your Christmas. So what do you need in order for this to be a a good holiday? And I I sometimes think this idea we all have to be together on Christmas probably isn't the most helpful. It might not be. Sometimes I just think there's way too much pressure in the holidays. And perhaps a more neutral day is the time to enter into that family gathering. Over at Relevant Magazine, there's an article called How Do I Deal With My Dysfunctional Family During the Holidays? And the author of that article has three tips. One, raise or lower your expectations. Mm. So depending on your family dynamic, you may need to raise your expectations or lower them. Here's something that they say. For example, you may have had a fight with your dad last year over the fact that you decided to change majors again. This fight <laughs> wounded you and now has you dreading that a similar experience awaits you on the other end of a flight. However, you don't know that it'll happen. You may have a hunch, but it's not certain that you'll fight. In this case, I think that raising expectations may be helpful because dreading that which we don't know to be true is basically a Mm. long way of describing anxiety and anxiety does nothing for anyone except cause them to fear. I think that's really good. Conversely, and they're sticking with that example, maybe it's a sure bet you and your dad will be fighting In this case, you know the stress you're fearing is rooted in truth, and it's rooted in history. For you, you may want to lower your expectations. Expect the worst and just try to get out clean. Mm -hmm. That's one of their pieces of advice. So raise or lower your expectations. Then they say find escape routes. And I I actually think this is a really good practical help. Going into family fun time, there's an expectation. We'll all be together and we'll all enjoy every moment. But what if you have a plan like you can only be there for a couple hours? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you have 
a movie to go to, so you've got a couple hours where not everyone has to talk. Or maybe you go out to dinner, so there's a clear end time. Or maybe you make plans. Like there are things you can do to create your own escape routes. And then the last one: focus on what is real. And let me just share this with you because I think it's beautiful. I would be remiss if I didn't suggest doing anything you can to orient your heart and mind towards Jesus this Christmas and always. I know the whole Jesus is the reason for the season thing is worn and cliche, but it is actually true. And for you and many others who are having a tough time understanding what love looks like in the context of our family, maybe we'd be a little less hurt, a little less disappointed, a little less wounded by our family if we truly internalize that a loving God came to earth and was called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's a good. good word. I just think being realistic, Aubrey, like being yeah. realistic yep. that, that the dysfunction that your family, uh, an extended family might face throughout the years, throughout the entire year, it's still going to be there on Christmas. So uh, just being honest about it, working it through, and then hopefully doing what needs to be done, either staying apart and mm-hmm. saying, hey, I hope next Christmas we'll be together. Let's continue working or figuring out a way to bury the hatchet and be together. I think all of those are legit, but you've got to decide what's going to do it for you and not just hope. Like, oh, let's just show up and Right, hope. right. That's a bad strategy. Right. So uh, hopefully it works out for you this Yep, Christmas. have a plan. And I would add one more thing. Get your prayer partners to pray mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Pray mm-hmm. around that holiday season, that holiday event, and just see if God doesn't do a new thing this year. Well, coming up next, we have a Christmas message from Tony Evans. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. It's Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it is the end of today's show. And as you know, we love at the end of today's show, every show, to leave you with something inspiring or challenging or encouraging. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the... Incredible Tony Evans and his daughter Priscilla Shire on the show. That That was was a a big highlight. They were talking about their new movie, um, a tour through Israel. And we um, just became fans. I mean, we're already fans, but I became a fan of Tony Evans after that because it was such an incredible interview and have been watching some of his Christmas messages on YouTube. Have you? Yes, I have. And there was a beautiful one that came out recently called Don't Miss Christ This Christmas really about um, how this season is unlike any other season. And so I wanted to play a part of that for our listeners, and then you and I can talk about it. Brian, let's go ahead and take a listen. You know, this season is unlike any other. God entered into human history in the person of Jesus Christ in order to not only give us the free gift of eternal life through faith in Him, but also transform our earthly existence as we follow him. That's why I'm so excited in spite of all the trouble that we all see around us, even during this holiday season, to say hope is not lost because hope is confident expectation about the future. If we place faith in Christ, we have a glorious future to look forward to, but we also have help for right now. And my prayer, our prayer, is that God would meet you in whatever place or circumstance you're in and give you calm and comfort, that he will strengthen you and give you and yours as you gather together during this season a fresh view of himself. All right. I think that's so beautiful. Such a good reminder that we have hope, yes, for the future, but also for now, Mm. because Jesus came to us. And 
you know, Brian, I know you and I talk about the already not yet a lot that yeah. we are sort of in the middle of we see deposits of God's kingdom. We don't see it in full. And so that means our hope is for the future, like one day when Jesus returns or one day when we're with him again. But we do get to experience hope now. And it's important that we have hope now, especially this holiday season when things can feel so heavy and so hard. And I know, Brian, you've been doing a Christmas series this year. I wonder what words of you just pastoral hope you have for our listeners. Yeah, it's this reminder that, you know, that's why I love preaching through Christmas, because you're reminded that it makes a difference now. Yeah. And it's not just this, Jesus came and we get to be with him in heaven and the rest is just terrible. But instead, you know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to uh, bring life abundant, all of these things, and, and that no longer is all of the mess uh, you know, the death, like, you know, you and Kevin, you know, your guys' family went through tragedy mm-hmm. this year. Uh, it doesn't necessarily take away the sting. But but when you read those passages that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that death doesn't win anymore. Yeah. The death has lost so its good. sting. That's yep. the phrase. And that can give you hope. And that mm-hmm. can cause you to hold on regardless of what you're going on out there. And so I think a reminder that, that the advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, um, changed everything yes gives us hope and that there's a second advent that we celebrate there's a second advent in which jesus is coming back uh and that there is coming a day then where there is no more struggle like it strikes me that tony evans he recently lost his wife in the last oh, year or two right, and so to right. say these words there's there's a real depth to it so that's where i find hope at christmas aubrey not the all my problems will go away but just be having the perspective of of Jesus being Lord, even yes. in the midst of my problems. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I I feel like it's interesting, maybe because of Kevin's mom dying and just, just because of the past couple of years that we've all walked through. I find that I used to really cling to like hope right now. And I do, I, I want to find hope right now, but I feel like more than ever, I am like looking for that future hope. Yes. I, I'm looking for the hope of heaven. I am focusing on the hope of Jesus's return. I think some of that is just aging and seeing more and more people die. But I think it's also seeing more and more injustice in this world and evil in this world and and heartache in this world and longing for Jesus to return and make all things right. I mean, the number of school shootings that we've covered this year, the number of kind of terrible stories of leaders falling from grace that we've covered this year. And I, yeah, I long Mm. for that future hope when we are all kneeling before the Lordship of Jesus Christ and seeing his justice and him making all things new and goodness finally winning yes. in the end. I, I feel like that's the hope I have for Christmas. Yeah, this year. it is this reminder. So we can just get lost in Christmas being about a little baby. Right. And, you know, the incarnation of Jesus is part of the good news of the gospel. Yes. So I don't want to blow past that. But right. you can just be like, oh, kids are singing Christmas carols mm-hmm. and a baby. No, no, this is the God of the universe. Uh breaking into humanity yeah. here and, and um, taking care of or defeating sin and death so that, like you said, we have this future reality. And it makes me think of all the people who have gone through really dark things or are going through dark things currently. Like, where's your hope? What are you mm-hmm. going to hold on to? If your answer to that question is that things will get better at some point, that might not be true. That might not be true. That just might not be true. Yeah. Uh, you speak a lot about your really good friend who's you know battling cancer. Mm-hmm. Like if her only hope was holding on to the fact that it might go away or right. will, I hope, we right. pray. Right. 
Um, and, and we see that over and over and over again, whether it be with COVID or job loss or de- all of these things. But we can hold on to the fact that in the struggle, Jesus has come. He's present now, and he's powerful to have defeated sin and death so that, like you said, there's a future reality where cancer is not real, job yes. loss and COVID yes. and death, none of those things. And so we can hold on now and we yeah. can have our hope. I think it's really important to ask people, like, where are you actually holding on to for hope? Like, what is actually mm. the the anchor for your hope? Oh, that's so good, Brian. And then perhaps this season is an invitation. Like, if you're if you're holding on like that death grip onto something that isn't Jesus, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's time to just very gently release your grip on yeah. that thing and and move your grip back to the anchor for our hope, Jesus Christ, the only one who is firm and secure and can can write or is writing a better narrative than what we see in front of us right now. I think that's a really good word for us. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's just a question you ask yeah. yourself, Lord, what am I clinging to for hope? Mm-hmm. Is it from you? And if not, would you help me very gently let go and cling to you? And I think the kindness and compassion of God is that he's not going to like shame you for wanting things to be better, but is going to continually bringing you back to himself. My mm-hmm. um, husband, Kevin, preached a sermon yesterday, of course, a Christmas sermon earlier this week, actually. And what he talked about was um, God pursuing the shepherds with the good news. Mm. And that, you know, shepherds, of course, like lowly people, overworked, tired, exhausted, probably stinky because they're with mm-hmm. sheep all the time. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not the kings of this world. Of course, he did pursue kings as well. But just that we can remember that no matter our circumstances, no matter how weary we are and tired we are and overwhelmed we are, God is always pursuing us with good news. Yeah. And that good news comes in the form of Jesus Christ, who, like Brian said, broke into our world yes. with his presence. And that's what Christmas is about. That's and the good news. Yep. That is the good news. So we hope that encourages you today, whatever it is you're facing this season. And we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.